Hey folks, in this episode of the podcast, I get to sit down with Kelby One's VP of Operations, Eric Kuna. We're gonna be talking about shooting photos with your mobile phone. This is Twitter. Hey, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today, we're going to be talking about going smaller versus going larger, right? We're always talking about lenses and camera bodies and shutter speeds and ISO and blah, 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 all these things. How much gear can I get? In this episode, we're going in the opposite direction. And to do that, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Eric Kuna. Like I said in that intro there, he's the Vice President of Operations at Kelby One. And they're hot off of a conference that they just put on, kind of celebrating the world of mobile phone photography and showing what can be done. It's an eye-opening conference that I had the, the, the honor of presenting at, but it was, you know, it, it, it's, kind of explores the idea of are we at that that tipping point of being able to maybe not replace or in some cases replace a full-on full-fledged mirrorless camera with something like your iPhone that you take with you every single day. Who better to talk about that stuff than Eric Kuna from Kelby One. Eric, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Hey, Frederick. Thanks for having me on. I love talking about this topic, so uh, I'm excited about it. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on, man. I'm I'm also excited to talk about this for a variety of reasons. I, as you know, photography for both of us runs through our veins, right? We love photography mm-hmm. or content creation, image making, however you want to you want to wrap it up, but just doing that stuff, right? Telling stories on the screen. And over the years, you and I both have seen like like basically when like when iPhone first came out even before iPhone with the Palm Treo and you know yeah. sidekicks and all those it was kind of a hint of oh man if this if this could be better this could really be something cuz i got a whole computer in my hand i've got io i've got a screen i've got sharing i've got everything if only it could be better and then you fast forward to now or even you know several years ago but we're as we record this 2023 and these things are ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, they're amazing, whether it's iPhone or, you know, Android or whatever, you can do some amazing things, things that you and I didn't even conceive of back then, like computational photography and just all the magic that you can do. This conference that you guys put on, this iPhone conference that that I think it just wrapped up, Tell me, like, let's. I just want to start there and then dive into the just sort of the nitty gritty about mobile phone photography. Tell me who that conference was for and how did it go? And are people generally, in your opinion, receptive to the idea of mobile photography these days? Because it used to be, you know, you're you're wasting your pixels using your phone. You need to use a proper camera. Is it still that, or are we are we there yet? Well, and I think, uh, Frederick, uh, the, the, the answer to that question right there is I think we're at, like you said, the cusp. We're yeah. at this kind of transition point where, you know, are they there yet? Not in everything, but in a lot of things, absolutely. You know, and I think that's where this conference fit in is, you know, ever since um, iPhone put the Pro on the end of the the, the phone name, the Pro had nothing to do with the processor it had nothing to do with uh, the buttons and dials on the phone it had everything to do with the video 
and the and the photos. I mean, that's what the pro level was, right? And that's where we're at is they they know that it's at a pro level that this can augment or in some cases, like you said, replace your mirrorless camera. And to, and really to look at this, you know, an iPhone is a mirrorless camera. I think a lot of people forget that. It is a mirrorless camera. It's just a smaller mirrorless camera with a smaller sensor. The only difference between that and your mirrorless camera is it has a very powerful computer attached to it. And it's able to do that thing that you just said, the computational photography, where you can take images and stack them together, uh, uh, combine them together and remove noise right in camera, or set up a long exposure, not put an ND filter on your camera, and then run an app that will just frame average out your images to give you a long exposure. And really, that's who this conference was for. It's for, for those people who they really want to use their iPhone in a professional way, but they're looking to get help from people that have been doing this for years. Because everybody is teaching at the conference. We're all photographers that have been doing this for years, but they're also we're all photographers who are embracing all these different technologies and really kind of moving forward with it instead of fighting it. Uh, I kind of feel like we're at that uh, transition between like film to digital, you know. Um, Kind of feel that same way about like where AI is going right now, but that's a total different subject. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's really kind of like that's where it's for me, like, you know, like I have the Samsung, the Google and I got the iPhone here and I'm using all three of those in different ways and different settings to then help people uh, use that in their own photography. Because at the end of the day, we like you said, we have these things in our pocket. Can we use them professionally? And for me, the answer is yes. We just have to treat them as a professional camera. Um, that's a big thing I taught in the conference was about what we can do with our with our iPhone to make it a professional camera. And a lot of that has to do with one word for me, and that is intention. If we intend to take a professional shot, we can get professional results. Because you know, if you look at like the iPhone 14 Pro, right? What do we got? We've got a, a 48 megapixel main camera that yeah. shoots raw, right? A 48 yep. megapixel camera that shoots raw. I mean, just rewind, like you said, if we rewind back to 2007, we the iPhone was launched, it had a two megapixel uh, sensor in it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. we've come a long way. We're at that point. And yet, yeah, that's really what it is, is that, that it's kind of this idea that that phones are, are not able to hang uh, is out the window. Yeah, I agree. And you know, the other word that I would throw in there, I want to get your thoughts on. So intention, absolutely. But the other one is perception, right? So especially in the world of the professional photographer. So if you show up with your fancy Sony or Nikon or Canon or whatever, right? And people are like, oh, he with your big white lens and all that, people are like, oh, he spent money. He must be a professional photographer. But conversely, if you show up with the same phone that your client has, mm -hmm. right? And you're like, yeah, I can do it with this. Unless you're a big name, like a Joe McNally or somebody like that, or yeah. you know, Andy Leibovitz, who your name precedes the gear, then you know, I'm curious what you think about that. Are we heading in that direction? Is it a matter of attrition where 
the old people that that think DSLRs are necessary to get great images are kind of falling away and the new people that know that you can get superior imagery from a mobile device are going to take over? Is it just a matter of time? What do you think? Possibly. Um, I do think that that is a big thing. Perception is still something. I mean, we as humans, you know, it's that whole saying, right? Perception is reality, but the reality yeah. is that that is not true. You know, right. know that that's just that's a phrase or a saying that we like to say so that it justifies certain things. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when you go down to the perception, I agree with you. If you hire a wedding photographer, they show up at your wedding they're carrying around an iPhone 14 Pro, and, and you're kind of going to be like, what am I paying for? Like, mm -hmm. why, why did you cost this much money? So I think there is that. But that's slowly going to, I think, die away. And I, the reason I believe that is because I see people out and what they're doing. Um, I can see, I was just out shooting uh, the other day with a buddy of mine. He had a, a Samsung um, uh, S22, and I was showing him uh, night photography stuff on it. I was showing him the astrophotography track it has on it. And he, you know, obviously has the big DSLR, Nikon DSLR that's out, or Nikon mirrorless, I should say. It was a mirrorless Nikon, and he's shooting. And then he starts seeing what I'm doing with the phones, and he starts, uh, you know, kind of, you know, curious and shooting. And he went right from... Oh, I'm going to, he just flipped over to start shooting with his phone. And the reason being a lot of times is he, what he's seeing out of the phone is way better than what he's seeing out of the mirrorless in camera, right? Because of it's doing the tracking it's doing all these things. Now, I still think that's an area that hasn't got there yet. I think astrophotography and telephoto photography, it's still a little rough on the phones. Um, you know, Samsung and Google definitely are making strides in the area. But um, and that's where the iPhone is definitely is still behind the times when it comes to those two areas. But uh, that was the cool thing is it's able to see. And I think that's going to happen with people. Um, I don't know. You're out just at uh, Disney. Right. And you're taking mm -hmm. pictures of your family. It used to be you thought you had to have a big mirrorless or DSLR camera and you would take the picture and it'd be like it'd be OK. You'd be in auto mode because you didn't know what you were doing and you kind of, you know, would just kind of take a picture and it'd be okay. Now you turn it on portrait mode, you, you have it all in auto, you just slide up and down to make it brighter or darker and people see how easy it is to take a photo and that perception of what it takes to make a photo is starting to erode. Yeah. And us yeah. as photographers need to realize that, that that perception, that the perception is starting to erode. Yeah, And it's because users are starting to see how easy it is to take a professional like image. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder with that, is technology also converging as well? So if you have the perception that it takes a expensive mirrorless camera with expensive glass and then, you know, the, your software for post-processing, and then you can get you know, a great image versus like you were just saying, you know, you can do it in the, in your phone and get something amazing that you couldn't get in some ways in any other way. Are we heading towards a convergence where like we talked about this on the grid when I was, when I was able yeah. to join you and, yeah. and Scott Kelby on the grid, like, are we heading towards a convergence where 
we're going to see a reinvention of this space, the the professional photography space, and see it merge with this computational photography and all the things that people have become accustomed to and expect, you know, with taking pictures with their phone. Imagine if you could pour some great optics on that, right? And yeah. you know, a bigger sensor and, you know, an app store and all that stuff. Do you think we're heading in that direction or am I just, is this science fiction, you know? I, I hope so. And I know we've talked about this. I hope we're heading mm -hmm. that direction. And I do think we're heading in that direction. I think yeah. that this is all going to converge. Um, you know, you've got not only that, and that's where you say you've got these AI tools that are going to start merging in as well. Yeah. and the computational photography and then what they can do just with the sensors you know because of that computational photography being able to modify the sensor array like even what apple's doing being able to like uh you know during night mode converge four pixels together to get a bigger concentration of pixels you know i mean just stuff like that that they're able to do now not to say that you know that's gonna start that's happening also in the mirrorless realm as well but mm -hmm. I think that's where the phones are actually starting to push the camera manufacturers to, and they're also getting a little bit afraid of what's happening. And you see that. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's just like if I go if I go out. I mean, I was just at an air show uh, over here, Sun and Fun, over here in um, Tampa or Lakeland, I should say, Lakeland, Florida, and. If you look out at the crowd, it's all people shooting with their phones. It used to be all people shooting with their their DSLRs or their, you know, really it was the DSLRs. And it's kind of it's just moved over to their phones. Yeah. Same thing. You go to Disney, you don't see the you hardly see the DSLRs or mirrorlesses anymore. You see people shooting with their phones and right. that's where it's moving. And the reason being is the results. It's what we're yeah. getting out of our, our devices. And the it convenience, right? It is just amazing right? what we're And the convenience. And like, the who convenience, wants to carry around this... all the time? <laughs> yeah, who wants to carry around this yeah. boat anchor with you all the time while you're trying to enjoy Disney with your family and make memories? Wouldn't it be great if you could just stick, you know, make a memory and stick it back in your pocket and go out, go about your way? Or trying to ride a ride or something with your thing. You know, but yeah. you bring up a good point. The air show that you just shot in Lakeland there, the that, that strikes me as one of the areas where mobile phone photography aren't photography isn't quite there yet because long lenses and optics aerial air show type photography birding wildlife you know those kind of things where you need a long reach in order to bring that image close to you we're not quite there yet or are we or can we get there in in well, something this you'd thin you'd be surprised i mean so i i actually took the mission of one afternoon put position myself where the crowds would be just to see like, hey, you know, between now, I primarily would say I, I was focused on the the Samsung and the Google because they have the the periscope lenses. You're right mm -hmm. that you really need something where you can get out to a, a, a telephoto range in that 200 plus millimeters equivalent. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where yeah. we need to be. Um, now, for most air shows, you want to be much farther. And, and I do think phones will get there eventually, but that's where they're there right now. But when you know your subject, you know how they're going to fly into the frame, maybe it be it wildlife or be it aviation. I mean, there's many of times where, you know, I'm shooting with the Samsung and I'm at 240 millimeters and I'm getting shots from the air show. I mean, I posted them online. Like these are shots, raw files processed right in the camera. And 
most people, if you didn't tell them, they would think it was from a mirrorless camera. And, you know, so I was able to create, and even with the iPhone, I was able to create, you just have to time it to where the, the jets and the props are, are close to you uh, in proximity, which happens, you know, a certain second or two in the past that they might do. So instead of being able to shoot for seven seconds, you're able to shoot for a second or two, you know, so it's just a little different, but it was definitely getting there. I mean, the results I was getting were very impressive for where we're at, you know, yeah. right now, just in this like infancy. And then you have other things like I was able to use the um, a new beta feature on the Google Pixel called um, a motion pan, right? And that worked awesome for an air show because basically what it is is, you know, one of the hardest things when you're in an air show or aviation photography is is panning with uh, prop planes. Never want to see the props like frozen in the air because it's like if the props just frozen there, it doesn't make any sense. It needs to be spinning or blurring, right? That gives us a sense of motion. Plus, we want to see the background kind of blurring out. Well, Google has this new thing called motion pan I've been using, and you basically just click the shutter as you move with the subject in the frame and it does the motion blur and freezes the subject right in your frame and it is scary how good it is scary that's crazy where you're like wow i mean i spent so much time growing you know, like i've spent so much time trying to perfect panning techniques and now like i mean i could just take a something taxiing down the runway and pan with it and it looks like it's just flying down the runway yeah. It's just, it was amazing. So. That's crazy. And that, you know, a lot of the photographers like you, like yourself, right. And myself as well, that spent the time and the blood, sweat and tears. And in some cases, the money, right. Learning on film you know, to, to figure out these techniques and perfect them and get good at them. And now they're sort of compressed down into an algorithm that does it better than you could have ever done it before. It kind of, it kind of reminds me of the whole AI argument, which we'll have to do an interview on AI, but the whole AI yeah, argument where where AI can in a lot of ways take years of copywriting experience and you know squeeze it down into a prompt that anybody can do <laughs> same thing on this photography side of things you know with the panning it used to take a lot of understanding of how how optics and photography and exposure works and lighting in order to understand how to get it and get repeatable results with the pan do you think in your opinion like where there's there could be two schools of thought, I think. One school of thought is, hey, this is technology. This is where it's going. Get off your horse and carriage. Get on this Tesla. Move forward because this is where the world is going, right? And the other side is we're losing the artisanship and what it what it means to be a photographer, understanding intrinsically the f-stop, shutter speed, ISO, you know, light and how light works and how it behaves and the different properties of light and all that magic that we had to internalize in order to become a photographer. Is all that being diluted into an algorithm, you know, and the art of photography as we know it kind of fades to black? I don't know. What's your position on that? You know, so you bring up a good good point. And that's, I guess, where I go with that is I don't think that f-stops and shutter speeds and ISOs are very creative. Uh, you know, yeah, I, that's what yeah. I think I love. I love about using the iPhone is it frees you up from just thinking, do I want this to be brighter or do I want this to be darker? 
Because really, at the end of the day, that's what photography is, is capturing light, right? It's yeah. like, how much light do you want to capture? How many other shadows? And it's more about, and I think that's what that's what shooting without those limitations does, is it's more about the things you were just talking about, uh, a couple of things. Once we get beyond the settings, right, what is important? The composition, yeah. the framing, the light, the moment, the gestures, the the action. If, it, if it's action photography like we're talking about, it's capturing that. It's more about knowing your subject in photography than it about than it is about knowing your settings. Yes, you need to know your settings in order to capture what you're trying to do. For example, if you don't understand slow shutter panning, just the the overall just concept of it, you wouldn't even know to turn on motion panning in that Google Pixel. Because you would think, well, I don't even need to use that. But once you understand your subject, how it moves through a frame and all that, you just need to know how to do that technique. If there's an algorithm that's going to solve that for people and make it easier for them, I'm all for it. Because yeah. that just means more people will get excited about photography. It just means more people will get, well, more people also will start doing stuff that is very creative and very uh, thinking outside the box. And we'll start seeing different images from people because as it as you make it easier for people to do something it usually um causes more creativity rather than yeah. less that's right that's right yeah the, people call me the analogy person right and the analogy i like to use is washing clothes right so and this applies to technology in general like in the olden days people used to when the clothes got dirty they would hoof them down to the riverbank and wash them on a washboard you know that's the real way to wash clothes you can only get it clean if you do it by hand right uh and you fast forward to today and we have these high-tech washing machines that do everything for you and you know they sense the dirt level they use the proper amount of water and you know all the all the things which is analogous to our cameras today versus you know or technology versus not using technology so i fall on the side of the washing machine right i fall on the side the side of we're we're not in it to enjoy the art of washing clothes we're in it for clean clothes right? <laughs> we want we want clean clothes at the end of the day the washboard or the washing machine are means to an end if you can let me get to that end result faster give it to me because I just want to clean clothes and, you know, to apply that to photography, I just want to be able to take great photos in whatever genre I choose, which brings me to this next thing I want to throw at you, the genres, right? So portrait photography on these phones, we've got portrait mode, which automatically, you know, apply bokeh, blur the background and do all sorts of magic things on the iPhone. I know it, it takes, I don't know how many photos and does a bunch of stuff to the image at the point of capture before you even see it. It's better than what you could have done with just a straight analog piece of film. But in the in the world of portraiture, I wonder, are we, it feels like portraiture is there, right? With portrait mode and it's kind of a yeah. fixed subject. I feel like I can do a portrait with my phone in some cases better than I could probably execute with my with my traditional camera. Or is it, Am I am I off base thinking or can it be and I don't know what what do you what do you think? You know it's a good good um, what's interesting about like for example portraiture or portrait modes um, it also allows you 
when traditionally with a single lens, single reflex lens, or, or just a single mirrorless lens, um, we don't have depth. We can't see depth. So when we capture at f2, like that's the bokeh we're getting, right? Um, with a phone, because we're capturing that and then it's analyzing depth, it's giving you a depth map is what it's doing. It's actually analyzing the scene and, and showing the file has the data in it that shows it what how far things were away and how uh, far your background is away. And then what we can do is then we can modify uh, those decisions later. So say, well, I think this would have looked better at F5.6 instead of F2.8. I mean, I don't know many times in portraits that would work, but you know, like say it did, we can modify <laughs> yeah. it later or say I shot it at F8 and I'm like, man, I really wish the background was, you know, had a nice blurred out bokeh. Well, we can go down to F1.8, no problem, because we just do it on the little depth map and we tell, and then we could even mimic different bokeh from different lenses using again, the computational photography. So I do think that that's, that's one I, I think that's also why you have so many people jumping on board with the phones is because portraits and, and maybe not portraits, but snapshots of people, memories that we have uh, capturing, like we were talking about going to Disney, going on vacation, that tends to be when we use our phones the most is when we're traveling on vacation, we're out uh, kids events, uh, uh, life events. And those are the times that when we turn on those modes and we see, wow, I can get like a result that looks like I had a, you know, $5,000, um, you know, portrait lens. It's amazing. I remember when these things even came out years ago, when people were comparing, like, here's a $6,000 Canon or Nikon setup, and here's the iPhone. Tell me which one was shot with which. And you could always, if you really zoomed in close, you could see where, maybe the portrait mode would kind of fail in certain points but mm -hmm. nowadays you know fast forward to now it's getting like pretty close to perfect yeah yeah i agree and it's only 2023 right so presumably exactly. you know apple samsung google etc they have a little bit of money and will be able to invest i know apple's r d department is gigantic right so gigantic. It's yeah, I, I'm really excited to see what these companies come out with next, you know, whether it's image making or audio or whatever type of media that you're you're you like playing with, you know, with that, as we wrap this up, I'm curious, I know you like to what it, one of the genres that you play in is is rocket photography. In fact, we did an interview a while back, you know, where we discussed some of the these amazing shots that you've done of SpaceX launches, etc some of them with Tesla's in the foreground. There's just amazing stuff. Like from your perspective, putting on that hat, when you put on your, I'm going out to capture a rocket launch hat, do, when, when do you feel like phones will be at the point where you can feel okay leaving the rest of your gear at home and just go out there and set up with a bunch of mobile phones to get the shot and be happy with it versus going out with traditional photography gear? That's a that's a good one. That's an interesting one. You know, like, uh, for example, the uh, rocket photography, I think that the hardest challenge that we have is the dynamic range. Uh, we're shooting a, a fire, basically, we're shooting a bright mini sun ball of light. Um, so at times, you know, I would say for a daytime launch where I have the sun to balance that out, and we can kind of like, not have so much contrast. Um, 
the phone would handle that fine. Uh, I think the restriction that I would have right now is a lot of times, well, we can't use our phones because they have chips inside them that um, we we can't have out at the pads. I guess I could at a distance, but then we have that limitation of the telephoto distances with the phones. Um, but I do think that they're there. It would just be more uh, camp, you know, can, can I limit the broadcasting capabilities? Can I turn off the cellular data? Because there's just restrictions that certain launch providers have. So I think that's going to probably be my limiting factor there. Uh, or I'd be doing it right now. I would be yeah. trying it right now. Yeah, yeah, it's there. So then the, the last question to wrap this up is what's missing for you? As a, as a professional working photographer, you know, what, what do you wish you had on these phones that we don't have today? I just, you know, I, I think when it comes to low light, it's still, it's just nothing compares like that, that sensor, even with the computational photography, even with the, like, now I have to take the, the iPhone is probably the weakest of the bunch, right? When it comes to night. Uh, well, when it comes to low light, I'm talking like Milky Way, like low light, mm -hmm. uh, street low light photography around a city. These things are great with night mode, portrait, mo you know, portrait night mode, portrait night mode. Wow. I mean, it's crazy. But, yeah. you know, like when you get to extreme low light Milky Way photography, uh, like wide landscape Milky Way photography, um, I wish they were better. And but I think they will get better uh, once we start getting a little larger sensors. Once we start getting advancements in uh, computational photography, it will get there because I've already seen what the smaller sensors and the tracking, what they're doing. I mean, um, Samsung will now track for 10 minutes the sky. It, it, so it's basically doing stacking and tracking in camera. So it's it's crazy. It's stacking 10 minutes of data together. And, and that, that would have taken me to take that into... Uh, Photoshop or Starry Landscape Stacker or even other programs, uh, you know, we could have out there. It's going to take you a long time to stack those images together and get your final result. I've, you know, you do it on a Samsung and or even a Google, which a Google's will go up to like four or five minutes. Um, you're talking about seconds of processing versus downloading a bunch of files comping about stacking a bunch of files, you know, lining, making sure the alignment's right, all this stuff. I would just, now that's what I would wish is that Canon, Sony and Nikon and the others would actually wake up to this and just yeah. do this stuff themselves, you know, like yeah. actually put in that same processing power. I would love for that to happen. I just don't see that happening. I don't see any of them making any strides in that area. So, it's going to be the Apples, the Googles, and the Samsungs. But that's really what's lacking is the extreme low light and then the extreme telephoto. I think yeah. that that's where, you know, like once you get over 200 millimeters, really drops off. Uh, once you get in that extreme low light, it really drops off. Yeah. But beyond that, if you're just looking like, you know, again, you got um, what Samsung, we've got a 14 to 240 millimeter equivalent, you know, right there optically, which is the key. Then you got the Google. We're talking about, again, a 13 or 14 all the way up to optically, you know, in that 150 millimeter range. Then the iPhone, we're talking about a 14 to 77 millimeter range. These are very acceptable 
optical ranges for most shooting. It covers most shooting. It's just when you get to the extreme telephoto or when we're getting to those extreme, extreme low light settings. That's yeah. where I think they're still not there yet. But again, I say give it a year. Just give it a year. What's going to happen next year? And right. what's going to happen the year after that? It seems like years is what we're talking. We're not talking like decades. Yeah, no, we're, we're no, now no. in technology where we're talking years. You know, I wonder. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious what your thoughts on this are. Um, how much in, in in speaking in terms of technology, how much is too much, or how far is too far? Yeah, I know, and I know we talked about this when I was out in Tampa a little bit. I think um, about how Samsung came under fire. I think it was last year or the year before for replacing Super the same. moon in yeah. their in moon photos because the moon, as we know, is tidally locked to the earth. So we always see the same face of the moon. You know what you can calculate. Well, you know, the phone knows where it is on the planet. So yeah. it knows what the moon should look like from your your particular spot. Samsung, uh, I don't know if they're still doing it, but the article was saying Samsung has a database of moons that will pop in the correct moon if you take a photo of the moon and composite it in there for you at the point of capture, making you think you just got a great shot of the moon. And then I think about that, I'm like, you know, sure, it's not the moon, but it's, it is the moon. But is it your moon? And is it disingenuous? Should they tell, you know, I don't know. What, what do you think as a proponent of, of is, iPhone and mobile? This is going to be a weird one. Yeah. This is going to be a weird one. I mean, I think we're... And this is, we talk about it, like, that's where the AI conversation comes in as well. Yeah. You know, because I think we're at that point where the next few years are probably going to challenge that perception a lot um, of what is ours, what isn't ours, what did we create, what didn't we create. Um, it's, we're going to get into the weird, it's going to be a weird time in the next few years with that subject. But I kind of feel like it's one of those things where, it's all up to the individual and what they're comfortable with. I know, you know, me, I, I, I have a photojournalism background, so I tend to try to keep it as true as possible. You know, like, you know what I mean? Where uh, I don't want to push it too far. I don't want to add stuff in that isn't, but at the same time, I'm okay with people that do, and I'm okay, you know, if, if that's, if I want to make the choice, for example, to comp in a Milky Way shot over a landscape, because that's what I want to do, like, that's fine. As long as I feel like, as long as you tell people what you did, I yeah. think that's a big thing that, you know, like, it, you know, is we're not trying to hide something, that's going to be a big thing with this AI, and like, you know, people uh, generating AI imagery and just not saying like, Hey, I, I used AI to create this, you know, mm -hmm. that's, yeah. that's going to be a, the weirdness there. So yeah. I do think that's one of those things where, you know, I, I'm okay with it. I, but I feel like, um, there might be a point where enough's enough and it really comes down to the, the end user. Like, what are you comfortable with? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I've thought about, you know, this whole concept of, well, let's say, you know, um, same thing we we know uh the stars the milky way the core we we know all the positions could we just take high resolution imagery and then just have it locked to our gps mm -hmm. take a shot and it just have it put put to behind it actually what is behind it in the universe because we know what would be behind it in the universe yeah yeah you know, like the moon thing 
is that okay i don't know i mean it's it seems like it'd be pretty cool the images would look pretty cool if that was the case i'd never have to worry about like is it too cloudy what's the atmospheric haze like today is the seeing in the atmosphere going to be wrong you know all these things yeah. where it's like well if i just went out framed up a cool shot and then just say hey comp the milky way from this location over it that and that could be cool. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it comes down to like you you hit it right, hit the nail right on the head. It's it comes down to being honest about what the photo is and how the photo is created, and depending on what the what the end use is. Like you said, if it's photojournalism, sure, there are different sensibilities mm -hmm. that go along with what the expectation of that image is versus you know if you're doing something. Excuse me, if you're doing something that's pure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, artistic or a compositing work. That's different, right? If I'm just doing, you know, yep. all bets are off when you're creating art. But if you're creating something where you're trying to pass off as reality, that's that's where the 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 truth needs to come in. I, that's definitely the line. That's definitely a line for me. You know, it's like when you're trying to pass off something that isn't real as real and trying to pull one over on somebody like that's. But again, that's my photojournalism, like. Like, no, no, we're not doing I, I don't do that. You know, I, I won't yeah. I won't do that. But again, it goes back to that. It is your choice. It's your photography. It's your choice whether you want to do that or not. I mean, there's something in, in I'm, you know, again, huge into uh, night photography and Milky Way photography. And there's a there's a pervasive thing in the Milky Way photography community of people love to take unrealistic scenarios and put them together you know where it's like a perfectly lit foreground all the detail it obviously shot in the middle of the afternoon and then just like kind of like comp together with a perfectly you know tracked and in, in hugely detailed milky way shot and say hey look at what i shot it's right. like well yeah you did but it's totally unrealistic that shot totally yeah. unrealistic Right, right. And again, depends on the audience, right? If if, if the audience is yeah. there for that kind of hyper-realistic uh, yeah. tourist shop type photography, then so be it. But if, like, if you're trying to pass it off as, I was so lucky, I, the Milky Way happened to be in the right spot. And you know what? There was a unicorn flying through the scene. <laughs> sure, it was yep. there. Um, you know, this is great, Eric. Thanks. Thanks for, for sitting down and let me pick your brain about this stuff. Um, I want to wrap it up with the, with the iPhone conference and talk a little bit about how that went and, you know, just the, just the, the, that nugget. Cause this is the first conference that I've seen like that, that was hundred percent dedicated to the art of mobile phone photography at that level. Um, how did it go? Was it, was it all that Kelby you know, one wanted it to be? <laughs> Well, I was very surprised. I got to say, you know, obviously we, we've been doing a lot of iPhone training on Kelby One, our membership, and, and getting great reception from that. And and we we did one of these previous and it did it did well. It did very well. Uh, but this one in particular uh, just just blew up. I mean, we our attendance uh, for this was just huge. Um, our most popular conference that we've done in this virtual realm um, ever, you know, wow. including some conferences we did back uh, in 2020, which, you know, a different day and age. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was the back then it was like, you know, people were just looking to, you know, we couldn't do much. We needed, we wanted to, you know, be involved in doing training. So 
it was it was huge back then this one superseded all that so really excited about how many photographers were interested in this genre uh in this topic and and also the just the feedback we got from attendees the survey data that you know because we love we love to hear back from uh, the people that we're providing this training for we the reason we do this um is because and this is you know scott myself the whole company like our dna we want to help people and we want to make their lives uh, easier we want to improve their their photography and we want them to have fun so that's that goes throughout everything we do so it was really awesome to see that feedback back from attendees saying we love this we want more of this um and just very positive vibes all around uh from the conference so we're 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 thrilled we're really excited and you know we're i mean we're so thrilled we, we came right off of that we've got another conference going up in uh just a few months we've got a uh, a couple months from now the uh lightroom conference which is all nice. about using lightroom uh, we have classes all the way from uh, mobile uh, the desktop and classic which most of us photographers use classic because that's really should have been called lightroom pro but it wasn't um so we've got you know all different types training on all different things with lightroom because that really is if you're wanting the best editing tool for your photos no matter if you're on a mobile device shooting a mirrorless a dslr if you're scanning in film whatever it is uh lightroom is probably the the best tool for you to be using uh it's not the only tool out there but it's definitely the best as far as uh ease of use uh the amount of support you're going to have uh the different things you're going to be able to do to your photo easily uh, and really take it to that next level lightroom is really designed to do that i mean lightroom was designed to basically be a, a replacement for photoshop for photographers and in the 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, you know, the early days, we kind of felt like, well, maybe that's not the case. Nowadays, Lightroom is the replacement for Photoshop. I mean, the amount of stuff we can do in it with the masking and all that is just incredible. Yeah, I agree. But to bring that back to, that's what's great about the iPhone is we can use those files right out of the iPhone, which we, we taught at this conference as well, uh, right out of those that phone in RAW. Uh, and be able to process that right in Lightroom at that raw level. Yeah, yeah. You can do them in Lightroom on the desktop or you can do them in Lightroom mobile or mobile just thing. Lightroom, they call it, right? On the device itself. Yeah, so yeah, the world has definitely changed since the Lightroom 2, Lightroom 3 days. Mm -hmm. And you're right, you know, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of conversation we'll say you know in the photography community about which post-processing application is best is it should you use lightroom should you use capture one should you use this should you use that and you know maybe i'm biased because i have adobe in my blood but you know i look at lightroom and the 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 spectrum and the headroom that you have with this application and the pros that are using this application to create award-winning magazine covers and all this stuff. And I look at me and I'm like, that's a lot of ceiling, you know, there's a lot of headroom for me, you know, to grow into before I say, you know what, I need to move to this other tool because it does this little thing that I can't get over here. Right. It's, 
Yeah, I think it is disingenuous to yourself to think that you're that good that you need that Lightroom is not good enough for you right? <laughs> it's, when it's good enough well, for 90%. It, and if it's if it's not good enough for you, what's awesome is you have the best tool in the world that comes with Lightroom and that is Photoshop. Right. I mean, yeah. there I mean, there is no ceiling to Photoshop. I have not found a ceiling to Photoshop. That's but that's also the drawback to Photoshop. That's why Lightroom is so awesome. Lightroom is designed for photographers to make it not so cumbersome as what Photoshop is, because Photoshop is probably of any program in my entire life that I would, you just never find an end to it. You never find an end. There's always something to learn. There's always some, there's 50 ways to do everything. You know, everything in Photoshop can be done 50 different ways. Yeah. And it's just crazy. Yeah, love it, love it. Well, cool, let's wrap it up right there, man. You, we definitely have to do another discussion about this AI stuff for sure. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, the, it. Yeah. yeah, the rocket photography stuff too. So there's there's a ton of stuff to talk about. Uh, so there, there will be more Eric Kuna on This Week in Photo. Eric, if people wanna look at your work, you know, some of the aerial shots that you do or or the, the, uh, the aircraft shots or the rocket launch photography, what's a good place for them to point their browsers at? Sure. Um, on social media, it's always my name. So E-R-I-K-K-U-N-A, um, just at E-R-I-K-K-U-N-A on social media. Um, I'm very uh, active there as far as sharing uh, photos. And then just my website's the same thing, my name, ericuna.com. And then if you go over to Kelby One, uh, you can check out, I have a bunch of courses over on Kelby One on uh, rocket photography, where we went on to NASA and we actually sh showed the behind the scenes, like how to do rocket photography, how to actually do this um you know live on location uh we do night photography we've gone out uh different places around the u.s done night photography shoots um teaching on that and uh scott and i just did a class on aviation photography uh, specifically how to shoot an air show uh, hmm. a lot of people just uh, want to know like how to you know an air show is coming to my area how do i shoot it we did a class on that and then kelby1live.com is where they can go and see all, all of our conferences. And that's where you can go get the replays of the iPhone conference. So you can actually buy the entire conference and get all the replay sessions for one year. So even though if you didn't come to the conference, you still can see everything that was produced at the conference over at kelby1live.com and you can, uh, you can get it over there. And that's also where you can sign up for the Lightroom conference or any other conferences we have coming this year. We have Photoshop World later this year. Uh, it's been going on forever and that's where if you you're really into photoshop and you're wanting to do that like i was talking about that that uh 50 different ways of doing it we have a whole conference designed to to know everything about photoshop as well love it love it eric kuna always a pleasure chatting with you i feel every time we chat i feel inspired to go out and shoot something so <laughs> photograph something so, well, so. i'm glad because that's my mission i want i want to get people out having fun and and photographing and and just just enjoying photography and that's not right. being it's just what it's about we want to enjoy this yeah and don't rail against the technology understand it play with it mm -hmm. learn it and use it to augment what you're trying to do to push your your vision further versus you know thinking of the the iterations or the evolution of technology as a threat to you Right. It's it's more of a rocket boost, as it were, to to the things that you're doing already. So, you know, I see how I threw that in there. See a nice little. Yeah, I love it. <laughs>
All right, man. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your week uh, and we'll be in touch. Thanks a lot. This is Twitter.